Today's Tuesday, December 12th. The title for our devotional is Seeing, Hearing, Touching. Today we're focusing on even a subset of what we talked about uh, yesterday that we're focusing on for the week. So let me just read these few lines that we're going to be focusing on and uh, we'll go from there. Remember, we're in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. John writes, What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and have touched with our hands. Then later in verse 2, he says, And we have seen it. And in verse 3, What we have seen and heard. So he's repeating these ideas over and over again that he and the we here, they have seen and they have heard um, and touched this gospel. The gospel, the life that has been revealed in the physical material realm. This gospel is rooted in the incarnate Christ. In her commentary on 1 John, Karen Jobes writes, The truth about Jesus Christ begins with his being an actual person in human history who chose witnesses to explain the true significance of his life, death, and resurrection. End quote. John and others whom he references with the we here uh, has heard Jesus. He has seen Jesus. He has touched Jesus. Therefore, he is an authoritative witness to the teaching of Jesus. So, let's tease this out a little bit more. It's interesting that John chooses to use the first-person plural pronoun we instead of the singular I. The referent, therefore, could be himself and the apostles who lived with Jesus for his ministry. He could also cleverly be linking himself to his readers who still believed in his message as they are together in Christ through belief in the words of his testimony about Jesus. They have then experienced Jesus just as he has. Possible. In 2.1 and 13 and 14, he quick he quickly crosses over to the singular. He says, I am writing this to you. Uh, so the use of the plural here, we, could also simply be just a linguistic device that the author is employing for his own purpose, yet only referring to himself as the one author. Even if he is using the plural as a linguistic device and only referring to himself, which I think is the most likely option here, his purpose seems to be to link himself to the disciples and therefore, he is one who carries the authority of an apostle witness. That's the key. John then is saying that he and the other apostles who knew Jesus are the authoritative source on the truth of the Christian life. And this comes into play because of the context and the meaning, purpose for which John is writing, which we'll talk about now. Scholars are uncertain as to John's precise purpose for writing this letter. It doesn't read like a direct argument against a certain heresy in the early church. Instead, it reads more like a general sermon be delivered to churches under his spiritual authority. Uh, what it's doing again, as we talked about last week, is just outlining the, the key truths of the Christian faith and life without spending too much time arguing against the heresies that the church was struggling with. So the idea is to know the faith so well and live the faith so well that any diversion from it uh, they would identify and recognize. However, in 2.19, John notes that a group, which he calls Antichrist, have gone out from their community, the community to which he's writing. Most likely this means this group has left the church and abandoned the gospel that John and the apostles taught. It has been widely speculated that this heresy was an early form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism didn't come into its full form until later in the second century, but it's likely that the seeds had already been planted at the turn of the century, in which case this letter was probably written around 90 to 95 AD. Gnostics denied that Jesus came in the flesh. Instead, they taught that he only appeared to come in the flesh, but he was actually spirit in nature. If this is the case, it makes sense that John was so strongly emphasizing the physical nature of the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus didn't just appear to be in the flesh. John had heard him, seen him, and touched him. 
This emphasis on the apostolic witness to the Incarnation is important for a couple of reasons today. First, the apostles are still the authoritative source on the life of Jesus and the meaning of his Incarnation, teaching, death, and resurrection. Although the apostles are not still living in the flesh, their writings are the source of this truth. This is why the Bible is so important, and it must always remain the authoritative source of truth for the people of God. Our task, then, is to rightly interpret the words of the apostles and hold ourselves under their authority uh, and belief and practice, as their words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Second, this foundational truth of the Incarnation that God took on physical form in human nature is a bedrock principle of the Gospel. Mary and Joseph witnessed his birth, accompanied by the miracles that we read about in Luke 1. The disciples, they ate with him, they talked with him, they listened to him, they witnessed his death. They saw him and touched him after his resurrection. Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus also appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. Remember, this is a risky move to write this on Paul's part. One could easily travel from Corinth, which is where he was writing that letter to, to Jerusalem to ask around to see if this was indeed true. The gospel is rooted in real events, this means, in real history, witnessed by real people. You can be confident then that your faith is on solid ground. Today for Reflection Time, I'd invite you to just praise God for the truth of the gospel being rooted in physical, public events. Jesus was seen, heard, and touched by the disciples, and his ministry was experienced by thousands more. Ultimately, the resurrection was witnessed by over 500 people. Thank God that your faith is not at a blind leap, so to speak, but based on real events that occurred in the physical realm.